1: See Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I prove him more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust him Yeah.
2: Welcome
0: to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Thank you for joining us for another broadcast. This topic is a very painful topic, a very difficult topic, and yet one we must deal with. That is the hostility and anger of our heart toward Jesus. Jesus the anger, and the hostility in our heart toward God. This is spoken of in Romans, the eighth chapter, in way of quick review. In Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse six, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not, have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. This is a terrifying word. Because it's saying that if a man continues to walk in sin, it is a reflection of the hostility in his heart toward God. All of us were born hostile to God. Now, we may have said we will accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but kept the hostility in our heart. Often, for those who call themselves Christians, this hostility takes the form of indifference. Indifference results In God not being able to answer our prayers. And there is an epidemic of prayerlessness in America today. An epidemic. We do not see prayer as the means of changing the physical realm. Instead, we see prayer as an artistic Part of worship, as these beautiful prayers are cobbled together,
2: or we see prayer as a means of emotional release and therapy. We see prayer as not something that changes God. We see it as an emotional outflow of our heart as we listen
0: to the Christian music that is very emotional, and we listen to sermons that are very emotional and sermons that are geared to teach us the strategies of the world for success. We listen to the sermons of inspirational
2: intellectualism. We love to be taught things we don't know. But undergirding
0: all of that is a prayerlessness. There is not the pouring out of the heart and the soul before God as though he were the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if he does not move on our behalf, we will certainly die. We don't see men and women spending nights of prayer of spending days laying on their faces before the throne of God, weeping over the condition of their own heart and the condition of the nation. As we come to a Thanksgiving celebration, in America it's mainly about sports and football and and being grateful that I have the new toys, the new car, the new house, the new clothing. It's not a pouring out of the heart in repentance and and thanksgiving for the kindness and the mercy of God for having carried us through a year. It's not an expression of deep, passionate love for Jesus that's not just emotional but is literally, in reality, a thanksgiving for the very, the very presence of the Holy Spirit
2: to make us righteous. So America is basically today. Prayerless or shallow, that indifference is anger turned upside down. Some of you today are so filled
0: with hopelessness and despair and fear. You don't know that Jesus is the only one who can take that from your heart.
2: I woke up this morning praying. I don't know when I started but I
0: became conscious as I was awakened with prayer flowing out of my heart, pleading with Jesus, interceding, crying out to Jesus,
2: first for my own life and the life of the church and America. Because if we're honest, we've all been angry with God. Some of you today are Angry with your wives. Indifferent. Hopeless. Some of you are that way about your husbands. Indifferent. Hopeless. Angry. Harsh words. Distance. Pain. Disappointment.
0: Some of you are this way with your children, with your son, who won't respond to you the way you want him to, Some of you are this way toward your boss or your job. It just won't work the way you want it to. So there's a deep inner sense of of rage because you can't force life to work the way you want it to work.
2: And of course, God is so distant, so absent. The word says Mark eleven, twenty-three and
0: twenty-four, ask whatever you will in my name and I will give it to you.
2: Pardon me. But we ask and nothing happens. I suspect it has something to do with a lack of forgiveness in our hearts and that
0: anger that is so resident. How do we even begin to talk about these issues without just really going down there and dealing with them. And that's what Jesus did with the church at Laodicea.
2: As I shared earlier, there are seven churches with seven messages. And these
0: seven churches all have something to to say to each one of us in every age. But many Christians and theologians believe that this seventh church, this church at Laodicea, is specifically now in America. It opens to the angel of the church in Laodicea or to the messenger. Angel means messenger. Could very well be to the pastor of the church in Laodicea, right? <clears throat> These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. Jesus is not interested in your confession of faith in
2: Jesus Christ, absent from your deeds. He is watching how you act.
0: Every part of your Your inner and outer world, he is observing.
2: And he says, I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other.
0: So because you are lukewarm or tepid, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the word spit literally in the Greek is vomit. I'm about to vomit you out because you're making me sick to my stomach. I do not want to make Jesus sick in his stomach to me as a person because of what I do or don't do. He says, you don't realize that you are wretched. And again in review, wretched means
2: literally in the Greek, being weighed with weights and found wanting. It also means being pierced through with
0: many painful things. So he's saying, as I weigh you in the balance, as I look at your actions, you just don't measure up. And he says, you have many trials and tribulations, and they, and they don't seem to phase you. You're able to overcome them with your positive thinking. He sees our spiritual condition and he says, you're wretched. And again, in review, that word is only used in one other place in all of the Bible. And that's in Romans, the seventh chapter, where Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And the answer comes ringing
2: back, Jesus.
0: Now, the terrifying thing I hear him saying is that the church at Laodicea
2: thinks they are saved and on their way to heaven, but in fact, they are not.
0: And it reminds me of that
2: frightening passage of Scripture in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 21.
0: Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, it's not those who profess that I will accept Jesus as my Savior who will be saved. We've been lied to by false prophets. You look at at verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, that is the suffering gate, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. So there is a broad way into what we consider to be the kingdom of God, but in fact, it is a broad way that is very spiritual and very religious, but it will lead us into hell. And Jesus is saying many are on that broad road because they will not suffer. Now, please understand, I'm going to go in depth in this, Righteousness is necessary. Real righteousness, not imputed righteousness, but imparted righteousness is necessary for salvation. This is what the risen Christ is saying to the church at Laodicea. It is not enough for you to say, I have the imputed righteousness of Jesus. You must have the imparted righteousness.
2: It is only through suffering that that righteousness will be planted in your heart and in your life.
0: It is only with
2: chastisement
0: that you will ever grow in Jesus Christ. Now, we'll move into that more deeply in a moment, but let's finish. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it but small or groaning is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We must utterly let go of this false idea that everyone who calls himself a Christian will enter into the kingdom of God. It's simply not true. The vast majority of Americans who call themselves Christians have been so angry with God and with their fellow man so satisfied with the broad road that is filled with concerts and plays and all kinds of drama and entertainment, prosperity, but no righteousness and no repentance and no humbling of our hearts before God. And we've been on this broad road and we believe that the broad road would lead us to heaven, and we have Named the broad broad road, the narrow road, but it's not narrow. We've never suffered for the cross of Jesus Christ. We've never laid down our lives for Jesus. We have enjoyed the wonderful American
2: lifestyle. I listened to a pastor last night. As he said to some of his people,
0: I'm on my way to the movie theater to take my son to watch the movie. No inner awareness that that movie was produced by people of utter darkness. And so he's in the process of training his son to walk in the way of the
2: world. And he's a pastor. It breaks my heart. We've been so accustomed, so casual in our super entertainment churches. We've been so
0: comfortable with the lifestyle of the American that in surveys done by Focus on the Family, there was no measurable difference between a pagan and an evangelical Christian in terms of the values they hold, the way they spend their money, the places they go on vacation, their goals and objectives for life. We all want good things for our kids. Pagans want good things for their kids. A a wonderful pagan family that I've been trying to minister the gospel to have raised their sons wanting them to be respected, honest citizens, wanting them to be moral, wanting them to be kind, wanting them to be proficient. And yet they fed them on the vilest kind of television and the most violent
2: video games. So they have trained them in one way and fed them in another. This is America. Listen, he says, watch out for false
0: prophets. What's a false prophet? A preacher who doesn't confront you with your sin, who doesn't tell you how angry you are with God and call you to repent of that anger and that indifference and that lukewarm heart that is so tepid Jesus wants to vomit you out when was the last time you heard a preacher stand in the pulpit and say my dear brothers and sisters Jesus wants to vomit us out of his mouth no of course not because he'd lose tithe payers he'd lose offerings
2: he'd lose his church
0: Americans won't stand for that kind of
2: word I'm not surprised that Very few people respond to this broadcast.
0: We're not accustomed to being spoken to in this manner, and we're not willing to allow it because it would convict us. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. No, they don't show up as wolves. They don't show up as, I'm going to devour you. No, they show up saying, wonderful words of
2: inspiration and demonstrating kindness and all kinds of entertainment, strategies for winning. Inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit,
0: you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad
2: fruit. How is it possible that a man who has been a Christian for many years, who is a respected part of the church, should sit in a restaurant with an elderly waitress and become enraged at her slowness? Enraged at her inability to keep everything straight. How is that possible? Because the rage is just under the surface, ready
0: to bubble out and flow out over anyone who doesn't perform the way I think they should perform. A good tree
2: cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them.
0: And then, this terrifying passage Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Lord, did we not do all of the work of the church? Lord, were we not servants? Lord, did we not give of our funds and our
2: resources to cover the cost of the church? Lord, were we not there? Were we not consistent? It's terrifying.
0: But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, Put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash.
2: Now we continue. In Revelation, the third chapter, he says,
0: You're wretched. You're being weighed in the balance, and you're being pierced with many things many cares of the world, many responsibilities that cause the fruit of Christ never to grow up in your life.
2: And he says, you're pitiful. In other words, when I look at you, I say, what a pitiful person you are. And then he says, you're poor. You think you're rich, but you're poor because you don't have a place of standing
0: in the heavenly realm because You have never taken seriously the command of Jesus to repent. You have anger toward people in the church. You have anger toward your family. You have anger in your heart toward
2: God. Indifference. And he says you're blind. He says you don't even see it.
0: You go on day after day in in the casual lifestyle that you have. Focused earnestly on earning the dollar. But not focused earnestly
2: on winning the approval of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're naked. You're shamed.
0: This is the description that Jesus, the risen Christ. This is after the resurrection. This is Jesus speaking from heaven to the last church on earth before he comes. You see why? I'm crying out for a revival of godliness, of holiness, of of prayer, of supplication. I'm crying out that we will turn aside from the wicked ways and recognize the condition of our hearts.
2: He wants us to cover our shameful nakedness. He says,
0: Verse 18, I counsel you.
2: And now I want to give you just a heads up so that you know step by step where we're going. Step number one, there are clothing to buy. There is clothes that we must have, garments that we must have. Secondly, or first, there is gold we must have. We must have gold. Secondly, we must have clothing.
0: And third, we must have eye These are the three remedies that Jesus gives us if we're going to change from being
2: the church at Laodicea, cold of heart, angry with God, angry with our brothers and sisters. These are the three things we must have. Gold, clothes to wear, and salve to put on our eyes. This is the prescriptive medicine of God. So let's look at what this prescriptive medicine of God is all about. Look with me at Job. Job, the 23rd chapter, I'll read just two verses. Job 23, verse 10, he's speaking of God. He says, but he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. He's saying, I will come forth as gold after I have been tested. And then, if you look with me also, at First Peter, the first chapter. Let me begin reading with... Verse 6, he's speaking here about faith and being shielded by the power of God. says,
0: in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold the salvation of your soul. So first, the remedy that Jesus is saying is that you must begin to enter into the fire that will test your faith. In other words, you must begin to obey the living God of heaven
2: in all things that you know of. So that your faith can be sorely tested.
0: If you remember the children of Israel, they were sent into the wilderness. Many of them died in the wilderness. Why did they die? Because they would not give up their anger at God and believe his word to them. They were refusing to walk in faith and trust with the Lord God of heaven. If you have not been tested in this manner, if you have not been brought into the desert, if you have always found a way to escape, if you've always found a way to take care of yourself,
2: you're going to have to enter that desert. And God will bring about
0: the circumstances in your life that will try you. It may be the loss of a job. It may be the death of a loved one. It may be the rebellion of our children. It may be mistreated by your boss. It may be any number of things. But God will allow these trials to come upon your life to begin to test you to see whether or not you will allow Jesus
2: to fully rule in your heart and in your life now again i want to take you back to the book of matthew to what is called the lord's prayer it opens with our father in heaven hallowed or Holy
0: be your name, your kingdom come, or your royal authority, let it rule
2: over us. Your will be done to consent to the will of God. We're asking three things for God. That his
0: name be considered holy on the earth, that he have his way in all things and that his will will be done completely on the face of the earth and in our hearts and in our lives. Now he comes to three things that we pray for ourselves. First, give us today our daily bread. In other words, feed us the broken body of Christ. Feed us the, the shed blood of Jesus. This is our drink and our food. And every source of nurturance that comes
2: to us from the world must be cut off. And this will bring us into the desert. So if your comfort is in the television, turn it off.
0: If your comfort is in the internet, turn it off. If your comfort is in your cell phone or Facebook, turn it off. Jesus must be the source of nurturance in our hearts and in our lives. Your job is not your source of nurturance and survival. The 12th chapter of the book of Romans says that we must lay our lives on that altar of burnt offering. We are called to be living martyrs in Christ Jesus. If you get great, great joy, And your sustenance comes from professional sports, and you watch it by the hour. You can't wait to get home to turn the television off. Turn it off. Cut the professional sports from your heart, and you will suddenly find yourself without your drug of choice, and you'll find your life in crisis. For some of you, that cup of coffee is what comforts your heart. You could not live without that cup of coffee. Put it aside. Cut off every source of nurturance from the world. Cut off every source of support from the world. Only allow in your life that which Jesus brings into your life. Your husband, your wife, you must have Jesus before them. Jesus must stand between you and your wife or your husband. Jesus must stand between you and your work. He must stand between you and the church. He must stand between you and everything in your life. He must stand between you and the music you enjoy. Jesus must be the source of nurturance for every aspect of our heart. One man was told, Stop going to the gym and stop working out. You are finding your source of pride, and sustenance in working out at the gym. And angrily, he said to God, okay, I'll just be a fat man. The Lord cut him off from the gym for quite some time before the Lord said, okay, now go and exercise your body. He did the same thing with coffee. He said, cut the coffee off, no more coffee. How can I live without my coffee?
2: And after a fairly long period of time, when the coffee drug was broken, the Lord said, Okay, now you can have coffee, but I must be before the coffee.
0: You are brought into the desert as you pray and say, Thy will be done in every area of our heart. And we cut off everything that is not of Jesus. Every relationship, every friendship, we cut off that is not of Jesus. Jesus becomes larger and larger before us. And we are brought into a time of great testing. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. If you allow Jesus to be your daily bread, and you cut off everything else, you are going to be an angry man or an angry woman. And it's going to be a process, and it's going to take time, and you are going to be tested, and it is in this testing of whether or not you will believe in Jesus and allow him to rule over your heart in all things, in all things,
2: that the anger shows up. One person said to me, Pastor, I'm not an angry man. I said, okay, turn your television off. Don't watch your ball games anymore. And then the anger will explode from your heart. Let someone cut you off while you're driving.
0: Is your response one of mercy and kindness and you bless that person and ask Jesus to accompany them and take them safely to their destination or does cursing rise up in your heart? when you're not treated the way you think you should be treated at work, does anger rise up in your heart? As we cut off these sources of nurturance that are not of Jesus, but are of the world, our heart rises up in bitter anger.
2: And it's this anger that Jesus has to deal with in our hearts. Verse 13, lead us not into Parasmus. Temptation is a very poor translation.
0: The word parasmus means literally deliver us from the piercings.
2: The piercings of not watching the television ball game. The piercing of not having our own way. The piercings that come as We respond in anger to our family or our boss or to Jesus because he won't allow us to
0: have what we want. He won't answer our prayers. This is the piercing spoken of. Deliver us. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into these piercings because these piercings have all been cut off. And the anger has been taken care of. He says, but deliver us from the evil
2: one. Deliver us from the evil one. The toil and the pain and the evil that results in our heart. From the parasmus, from the piercings. This is the Lord's prayer. We have in America drifted off into some kind of American culture. We've Christianized it. We've baptized paganism so that we walk the broad way and call it the Christian way. These things of, of sin must be utterly cut off from our hearts. These are Familiar spirits. These are demonic presences. That seduce our hearts. Pornography. Lying, cheating, stealing. Ambition. Pride. Ascendancy. These are things that that come from the hand of the devil, not from the hand of Jesus.
0: Jesus is saying in this beautiful passage, painful passage, in Revelation, the third chapter, I counsel you, buy. It's expensive. It means you have to cut things off that are your source of nurturance, and you will find yourself wandering in the desert angry and hostile and indifferent to God and saying, why am I suffering this way? You must have the gold refined in the fire. What is the fire? The fire is saying no to the flesh, to the devil and to the world. Some of you have called yourself a Christian and you've lived with all the rituals of the church and you've, you've participated in the wonderful programming and the entertainment with a level of self-improvement, but you have never been pierced. You've never been put in the fire because you've never said no to yourself. You've never said no to the sources of nurturance
2: that you depend on for your life. You look with me in John, the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. Jesus says, and this is just before his crucifixion, I am the true vine, and my father
0: is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Jesus is saying, look, you're the branch. You've been grafted into me. You call yourself a follower. You call yourself a Christian. But if you don't bear the fruit of righteousness, my father will come and cut you off.
2: Don't rest in some false comfort of imputed righteousness. For if you do,
0: the Father will come and cut you off from the kingdom above. It is when we cut off our ways. It's when we listen to what Jesus is saying and we obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit that we are brought into the desert. Where did Jesus go right after his baptism? Did he go to Jerusalem and stand up and say, I'm the Christ? No, he did not. Instead, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, where
2: he was tempted by the devil.
0: He was tempted to depend on his own abilities and on the things of this world. And he said, no. And he cut off every possible source of nurturance except his father. And then his father brought into his life the precious
2: apostles, brought into his life the precious women who followed him. brought into Jesus' life, men and women who would love him and follow him and obey him. If you refuse to say no to your flesh and you constantly go back to your sin, the day
0: will come when the Father will say, you have not produced righteousness in your life by the power of the blood of Jesus. You have refused to cut off the things of the devil.
2: And now I'm cutting you off. Please, this is not some imaginary teaching. This is
0: what Jesus the Christ taught us just before He was crucified.
2: He says, "While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, you can't
0: you can't spray with an insecticide a blight. you have to cut it off. You have to prune the vine." The extra foliage that pops up does not produce the fruit. It just makes you appear good. It makes you be filled with pride. The Father comes and cuts off the flesh. Cuts off all self ascendancy, all pride. Why? So that you can be even more fruitful, so that there will be more righteousness, so that there will be more gold in your life. And then he says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me or rest in me or stay in me. Don't go to the world for your nurturance and your support. Get your nurturance, get your life flow from me,
2: not from football, not from money, not from relationships
0: remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You cannot bear the fruit of righteousness by self-improvement, by keeping the law, by any means. You cannot do it. This is a work that Jesus must do in us and for us. But we must be willing to enter the desert. We must be willing to enter the fire. We must be willing to cut off those things that give us hope, and false assurance. Every refuge of lies must be exposed and cut from our hearts. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain
2: in me. The picture of the church is that one tendril of the Christian goes to Jesus. And that Christian is still a part of the world. He was never cut off from the world. And so the lust of his heart is for money and recognition, for enjoyment in the things of the world, in the entertainment of the world.
0: And don't try to tell me that I must be
2: cut off from watching the football games, pastor. Don't tell me that. Okay, I won't. But as long as you gain your nurturance from the football game and not from Jesus,
0: you're dying. You're not producing the fruit of righteousness. You're not producing the gold that you must have. You're not buying the gold. You're not paying the price. we're eager to pay the price in the way we want to pay the price i'll spend all day sunday at church i'll go visit the poor i'll do this i'll do that but your essential source of nurturance and joy
2: still comes from the world the flesh and the devil and as long as that is so you cannot
0: produce the fruit of righteousness you can only produce hard work
2: and self-improvement and legalistic keeping of the law. And that does not bring righteousness. Some of you today believe that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself. No, can I assure you, Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, I see you. I see your actions. He's not
0: saying, I see my actions. You're covered. You're okay. You're good to go. No, he's saying you're not good to go.
2: You're not good to go. You've been deceived. You must produce righteousness. And you must
0: enter into the fire. You must enter into the wilderness experience of cutting off
2: the source of nurturance from Egypt.
0: Then he says, if anyone does not remain in me, in verse 6, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. You will be cut off, you will be picked up, and you will be cast into the fire. You will be
2: burned in hell if you trust in some false, imputed righteousness. You must buy the gold tried in the fire, or you'll make Jesus sick to his stomach.
0: Then verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. If Jesus does not answer your prayers and he seems far from you, it's a warning in the spirit that you have not entered sufficiently into the fire and you are still gaining your nurturance from areas of the flesh. And I am pleading with you today to ask the Holy Spirit to show you every place in your
2: life where you are gaining your nurturance from the flesh, from the world, from the devil. We're just about out of time. We're still a long way from being
0: able to cover this month on radio. If these broadcasts have been precious to you, if, if they are calling you deeper into Christ and they're convicting your heart, then just as at church we pass the offering plate, I do also on this radio broadcast asking, will you you respond to the call of the Spirit and give to help cover the cost that this message can go out over this city? There must be a call, an honest call for revival. Please write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. It's completely renovated. We're still in the process, but it loads very quickly. You'll find the videos there. You'll find podcasts and other resources to help you in this journey toward heaven. Oh, Lord, I pray for each person who has listened today. Lord, don't let them turn in anger from the words I've spoken, but bring great conviction and cause them, Lord, to begin by the power of your blood to cut off every source of nurturance that is not from you, Jesus. I pray your blessing for each one. I ask by the power of your Spirit to remove the anger from their hearts, the indifference. I pray in your holy name a blessing upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen. I love you, my brother, my sister. Be faithful and repent. And let the Holy Spirit bring you into the fire that you might be saved. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.